Hi, and welcome to Better Than New, the podcast to help you find a cool used car, truck, or SUV at a price you'll love. I'm your host, Gary Crenshaw, and today is the third episode of our month-long Little Weirdos 4x4 edition podcast special here on Better Than New, featuring four small, fun-to-drive, and affordable used 4x4 SUVs from the 80s and 90s. Week one, I reviewed the Geo Tracker, which is essentially a rebadged Suzuki sidekick, and last week was the hard-to-find Daihatsu Rocky, another excellent body-on-frame 4x4 from Japan that was available in the U.S. for too short a time in the late 80s and early 90s. But today, I'm going to tell you about a small 4x4 that was sold in the U.S. for model years 1986 to 1995, but started life as a tiny, Jeep-like Japanese market K-car in the 1970s. It's small and light, but tough as nails, and makes for an exceptionally capable off-road 4x4. And I'll tell you all about it, and why you might want one in just a moment. So hop in, buckle up, and let's go for a drive. So if you haven't guessed what it is already, this week's little weirdo, small 4x4, is the Suzuki Samurai, which was introduced to America in 1985, as a 1986 model year vehicle. The Samurai was initially priced at less than $7,000, and while Suzuki had hoped to sell about $1,200 per month, this tough little four-wheel drive Jeep Wrangler competitor wrapped up huge sales numbers with 47,000 sold in the first year. That's more than three times the expected sales, so it was clear Suzuki had an unqualified hit on their hands with the little Samurai. Now, when you look at the numbers, you know, horsepower, torque, engine size, weight, all that sort of thing, especially compared to today's 4x4s, you might wonder what all the fuss was about. That's because when it first landed on U.S. shores, the Samurai was fitted with a small 1.3-liter four-cylinder engine, which cranked out an underwhelming 63 horsepower, which, frankly, is not much. And speaking of not much... The weight of the 1986 Samurai was less than 2,100 pounds, which was lighter than a first-year 1990 Miata, a car that was designed to be a lightweight sports car from the beginning. And the light weight of the Samurai, combined with the little SUV's only transmission, a five-speed manual, made for reasonable acceleration around town up to, say, 40 or 45 miles per hour. Now, of course, the Samurai was capable of faster speeds, Some say 80 miles per hour, but the reality is more like 65 to 70 miles per hour. And to be clear, 0 to 60 and quarter mile times are laughable by today's standards and almost require a calendar rather than a stopwatch to measure. For example, when new, you can expect the Samurai to go from 0 to 60 miles per hour in a time that's somewhere close to 17 seconds. Now to put that in perspective, that 1990 Miata mentioned earlier, accelerated to 60 miles per hour in about half that time, right around nine seconds. And in Motor Week's time testing of a Samurai back in the day, their 1986 model recorded a 0-60 to 60 time of 17.2 seconds and sauntered through the quarter mile in 21.2 seconds at 62 miles per hour, which sounds almost like it was standing still. But keep in mind that the competition back then wasn't exactly quick either. Other small 4x4s we've covered from that era in this series were very slow accelerating beasts as well. In a June 1st, 1990 Car and Driver magazine test of a Jeep Wrangler YJ Sahara with a 4.2 liter inline six cylinder and an automatic transmission only managed to hit 60 miles per hour in 15.4 seconds. 
Sure, it was faster, but it's still really slow. And it covered the quarter mile in 20 seconds at 66 miles per hour. So, yeah, it was quicker than the Samurai and had a higher top speed, but not really by much. That said, a Jeep driver will pay a higher price at the pump. That six-cylinder Jeep got 14 miles per gallon in car driver's testing, but you could expect a Samurai to get more like low to mid-20s in terms of gas mileage. And then there's the purchase price. When new, the initial price of the Samurai was about a third less than the Wrangler, and the result of all that is that the Samurai outsold the Wrangler by 2 to 1 in 1987. Not bad for a little 4x4 from Japan that was sold in the U.S. for the very first time. Okay, so even though the Suzuki Samurai certainly wasn't quick, it wasn't a complete penalty box either. And in spite of its stiff ride, thanks to its firm leaf spring suspension, it proved to have adequate acceleration in town and maybe kind of sort of adequate on the freeway. Maybe. But once you move beyond smooth paved roads, the little Samurai really came into its own and was more than capable on gravel roads, backwood trails, and just about any other off-road challenge you threw at it. In fact, if you do a little research, you'll find that the horsepower and weight of the Samurai were nearly identical to that of the original Willys or Willis army jeeps that helped America and our allies win World War II. And that go-anywhere, do-anything jeep-like attitude of the Samurai, combined with owners being able to have as much fun as possible driving off the beaten path, was the little Suzuki's Jedi mind trick. I mean, Who needs to go fast when you're having fun playing in the dirt, right? Now, speaking of playing in the dirt, the Suzuki Samurai was, and still is, a very popular vehicle with serious off-road enthusiasts. Due to its good off-road performance and reliability compared to other four-wheel drive vehicles of that era. Now, unlike larger SUVs, the Samurai is very compact and light. Yet, it still features a rugged, body-on-frame design and a two-speed transfer case with two-wheel drive high, four-wheel drive high, and four-wheel drive low, so it's considered to be a quote-unquote real four-wheel drive vehicle. Its small size and minimal weight also make it a nimble off-road companion that's less prone to sinking in soft sand and mud compared to heavier 4x4s. And this little thing can really climb. In fact, a team of Chilean drivers used a modified samurai to set a Guinness World altitude record on a dormant volcano in the Andes Mountains. Their little samurai, outfitted with tire, wheel, and suspension modifications, and a supercharged four-cylinder engine, reached an altitude of 21,804 feet on April 21, 2007, displacing the previous team's record that was set using a Jeep Wrangler. Now, the Chilean team even kept the Jeep Parking Only sign the previous team had left on the volcano as a prize, and they and their Suzuki held that altitude record for more than a dozen years until it was finally broken by a team using a Mercedes-Benz Unimog in 2019. Now, if you're not familiar with what a Unimog is, Google it, and you'll be impressed that it took something like that to beat the little Samurai's altitude record on that volcano. Now, for some people, used to larger, softer, and more modern four-wheel drive vehicles, the Samurai may seem a little primitive, with its Bronco Buck ride, its simple interior, hand-cranked windows, and manual locking front hubs on the earlier models. But over time, even the most jaded will appreciate the little Suzuki for its ability to squeeze through tight trails that larger rigs just can't navigate. 
Some upgrades were available through dealers or the aftermarket, including self-locking front hubs, but over time, even Suzuki saw fit to provide some small improvements. The 1988.5 Samurai was improved for on-road use with the addition of softer suspension settings, a larger anti-roll bar to reduce body roll, and a lower fifth gear ratio to make better use of the car's meager power on the freeway. And in 1991, Suzuki switched from carburation to throttle body fuel injection, bumping the little 1.3 liter up to 66 horsepower. Woohoo! Another three horsepower! Yay! Now, on the negative side, a rear bench seat was no longer available in 1994 and 1995 model years due to the fact that rear safety belts were required to have a shoulder mount starting in 1994. But the partial roll cage in the Samurai couldn't accommodate the mounting point, so rather than redesign it, Suzuki simply sold the Samurai without a rear seat, which is a bummer because you really want that back seat. So watch out for 1994 and 1995 models. They didn't come with a back seat. So in 1986 and 1987, when the Samurai was first launched, it was unstoppable. And it seemed like the little Japanese Jeeplet might get the better of the actual Jeep Wrangler. But unfortunately, the economy and an organization called Consumers Union came along to put a damper on the fun. Recessionary pressure in 1988 increased the value of the yen versus the dollar, and the result was higher samurai prices and lower profits for Suzuki, which was still struggling to get a solid foothold in the U.S. market, in spite of the samurai's initial sales success. But things got worse when Consumer Reports, the magazine of Consumers Union, put out a test which they said indicated the samurai was easily prone to rollovers compared to other vehicles. Now, even though the Samurai had performed well in their initial handling tests with some other SUVs, apparently a staff member of the magazine later rolled a Samurai while driving on the road. And because of that, Consumer Union decided to try to replicate the same conditions to determine if the Samurai was actually more inclined to roll compared to similar vehicles. The problem was they couldn't get it to roll over without changing their test procedures in a way that required far more aggressive steering wheel movement. After multiple failed attempts to roll the vehicle with their new test procedure, Consumers Union eventually got the Samurai to dramatically lift up on two wheels while aggressively turning. Now, the Samurai used in the test was fitted with outriggers, so it wouldn't actually roll over, but it was clearly up on two wheels, and Consumers Union filmed these tests and released the video to the media with predictable results. News organizations always looking for something dramatic took to the Consumers Union footage like rats to cheese, and in the ensuing firestorm of repetitive nationwide news coverage, sales of the Suzuki Samurai plummeted by more than 70%, from 7,479 Samurai sold in June of 1987 to only 2,199 Samurai sold in June of 1988. So that was the beginning of the end of the Samurai in the U.S., in fact, I would say that Consumer Reports magazine test really was the end, because sales eventually dwindled until Suzuki, rather than attempting to certify a new and improved Samurai for U.S. consumers, they decided instead to just simply drop the Samurai from the U.S. lineup altogether in 1995, as the damage to its reputation was already done. Now, ironically, Suzuki sued Consumers Union for libel in 1996, a year after the Samurai left the U.S. market altogether, and after an eight-year court battle, 
They settled out of court in 2004 with neither side conceding, but at least consumers' unions said that they may have gone a little overboard on their claim that the samurai rolled over, quote-unquote, easily. That said, does the samurai roll over more easily than other similar 4x4s? Well, good question, and I'm no expert, but I would have to say, in my opinion, no. It's probably not more or much more inclined to roll over in aggressive steering maneuvers than other similar vehicles, like a Jeep Wrangler or some of the other boxy little 4x4s we've covered here on this podcast. And here's the deal. High ground clearance 4x4s with a short wheelbase, a high center of gravity, and tall off-road tires will always be inclined to roll over more easily than, say, a low-slung sports car with a low center of gravity. But any car, truck, or SUV can be coaxed into rolling over, given the right circumstances, a really tight corner, and a heavy yank on the steering wheel. And I guess the question that's really most important is whether or not I would personally buy a Suzuki Samurai today, knowing what I know and having watched the video from the Consumers Union test. And the answer is, absolutely. I would enthusiastically buy a Samurai. I think they're great, and as a used vehicle today, they're just as capable, fun to drive, and frugal as ever. So yes, I'm all in on the Samurai. I wouldn't be afraid to drive one, and I would drive one just like I would any short wheelbase 4x4 that sits a little bit tall on the road. I'd be a little bit slower. I wouldn't drive it like the Miata, okay? I wouldn't drive it fast. Now, assuming you're as enthusiastic about the Samurai as I am, what should you look for? Well, like all the small 4x4s in this Little Weirdos 4x4 series, the Samurai is an older used car. We're talking 30 to 35 years old or more. So you do have to keep that in mind and look for one in good condition while you search. But that said, it really doesn't seem that old to me. Maybe it's because it's such a cool little analog four-wheeler. And for some reason, that seems as relevant today as it did back in 1986. I mean, the Samurai is just simple. And that's refreshing in a world filled with overcomplication. It's got two doors, a small, simple engine, a manual transmission, and a proven part-time four-wheel drivetrain. And while it's small, it comes with enough ground clearance and stock form to get you about as deep into the backcountry as most people want to go. And also, my love for this little 4x4 might be due to the fact that Suzuki still makes the Samurai today. Now, in other markets, they've called it by different names, you know, kind of cool stuff like the Suzuki Jimny in Japan, the Katana, the Maruti Gypsy, and Gypsy King in India. And there's the version voted most boring by me called the Farmworker 4x4. Yeah, that's what it's called, the Farmworker 4x4. It's a version sold only in New Zealand for, you guessed it, farmwork only because it doesn't meet the country's on-road crash test, so you can't drive it on the road. You can only drive it on the farm. Okay, boring name. Maybe they should have called it the Katana Farmer, or the Gypsy Farm King, or something more interesting. But if I had a choice, here's what I really wish. I wish Suzuki would find a way back to the U.S. market with their new-for-2023 five-door Samurai that looks like a G-Wagon, Galendewagen, a Ford Bronco, and a Rubik's Cube had a love child. It's a small, boxy, cute, and funky little thing, just like the original Samurai, and I think it would sell like chilled water in Phoenix during a heat wave. I mean, it's really cool. I'll put some links in the show notes and you can check it out. It's kind of cool. 
Okay, all that said, what would I look for in a used Samurai? So the Samurai came in two forms, a soft top version and a hard top, or what they call a tin top version. I personally like the look of the tin top, but I prefer to have the open top. And in a perfect world, I'd try to find a soft top version that had one of these aftermarket removable hard top sections for the back. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. Now, there were some slight changes over time, but in terms of these vehicles, condition is really the most important thing. That's number one, condition. You want to find the best condition samurai possible. Don't worry about features, worry about condition. There's other stuff, typical stuff like, you know, finding one with low miles, minimal owners, no accidents, no rebuilt or salvage titles, that sort of thing. So stick with that. Go with one that's stock or close to stock condition if you can. There's a lot of them that have been modified in sometimes good ways, sometimes bad ways, sometimes in between. And other people's modifications aren't always good. So unless you know what you're buying, I'd go with a stock vehicle. They're actually going to be worth more in the long run. If you look at Haggerty's website, haggerty.com, uh, I'll get to that in a minute, but they have valuations on their site and their valuations are really based upon stock condition vehicles, not modified vehicles. So keep that in mind. Also, make sure that your Samurai has a back seat if you want one, even if you don't, they're worth more with a back seat. Some of these had back seats that were either, you know, they didn't come with the car or they were taken out and put in somebody's garage, and when the car was sold, they forgot to sell the seat with it, whatever. You want that back seat because you're not going to find one easily on Craigslist. You're probably not going to find one at all, and if you do, it won't match, so get one with a back seat. Also, you want to watch out for two-wheel drive versions in the final year or two. I believe that there were some two-wheel drive versions of the vehicle sold here, so if you want four-wheel drive, make sure it has that two-speed transfer case in addition to the manual transmission shift lever. And finally, Many of these were used as tow-behind vehicles. They were towed behind an RV, and, you know, they might have worn out the tires, they might have worn out the you know, wheel bearings or something, but overall, the car didn't have the type of mileage that their odometer might indicate because they were towed behind an RV. So if you find one of those examples, that might be a good way to go. Okay, so how much should you pay for one of these things? Well, if you subscribe to Haggerty's Driver Club, haggerty.com, you'll know that they named the 1986 to 1995 Suzuki Samurai to their bull market list for 2022 as a vehicle slated to go up that year or thereabout. And on their website, they list a number three condition or driver condition car as being worth $11,900. So is that accurate? Well, a lot of variables need to be considered when trying to determine valuation, and one person's number three condition vehicle is another person's number four or fair condition vehicle. That said, in my experience, most people tend to overvalue their vehicles, and I've seen a lot of what I would consider to be fair condition or number four samurais priced higher than they should be in terms of their asking price. So what could or should you pay? Well, I don't think you're going to find very good Samurais below $5,000 unless you're either extremely lucky or you're very diligent in your search. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's not as likely. Now, between $5,000 and $7,000, there should be some solid examples with a few blemishes or minor issues, but they should be decent driver quality vehicles. Now, better examples are going to be found between $7,500 to $10,000. I would expect to find the type of samurai that I would want in that $7,500 to $10,000 price range. And again, it takes time to find a good car, not only in this price range, but really any price range. Now, moving up 
10,000 to say 12.5, it should be relatively easy to find a good example. Now, you might be searching in a wide area, let's say up and down the West Coast, but you could still find vehicles in that price range that are decent. And over 12,500, you're really kind of getting into a range where you should be looking for really high quality, all the features, everything's functional. If it had air conditioning, it works. Um, there's no blemishes. The top is, you know, there's no cuts or tears. The paint's great. Everything's good on the car. Or at that price, you know, 12.5 and above, you should be considering maybe something else like a Jeep Wrangler TJ. Those are great. And when you, you know, if you keep going up in price, you have to really want a Samurai to be paying 12500 or 15000 or seventeen five for one of those cars. Because at that price, you could get yourself a really nice Jeep. And you might want to do that instead. Something to consider. But in any case, the Samurai is a great vehicle, especially between 7500 to 10000 That's sort of my sweet spot. That's where I would look if I were you. And that's what I would expect to pay. Okay, so that wraps up this week's Little Weirdos 4x4 edition on the Suzuki Samurai, another sweet little 4x4 SUV from the 80s and 90s that provides Jeep-like off-road prowess with a relatively cheap price. The Samurai is the small, boxy 4x4 that no longer exists, a light, agile SUV that's significantly smaller than a new Jeep Wrangler or Ford Bronco. Rapid acceleration and speed is lacking, but the Analog Samurai provides the tactile connection of a manual transmission, manual steering, and a manual convertible top that you won't find in modern vehicles. There's also considerable aftermarket parts and club support for owners, and while primitive in many respects, the Samurai is still fun to drive, it's rugged and reliable, and it gets decent gas mileage compared to most off-road SUVs. And if that sounds good to you, the Samurai might just be the boxy, affordable 4x4 you've been looking for. And with that, thanks for listening to this week's episode. And be sure to join me next week for another Little Weirdos 4x4 edition podcast episode on the Dodge Raider. A rebadged two-door, short-wheel-based Mitsubishi Montero that's better known in Japan as the Pajero. A car that's won many East African safari races outright. It definitely has off-road capability baked into its DNA, so be sure to check out that episode. And if you haven't subscribed to Better Than New yet, please do so so I can keep bringing you reviews of cool used cars, trucks, and SUVs available at a price you'll love. And until next time, I'm Gary Crenshaw, this is Better Than New, and I'm really glad you came along for the ride.